Alexander Isaevich Solzhenitsyn, 11 December 1918, 9 August 2008, was a Russian novelist and historian and short story writer, and he was an outspoken opponent of communism and the whole Soviet system. And he brought to light the issue of forced labor camps. If you know anything about Russia, if you ever heard the word gulag, that's what that is. It's a concentration camp that usually was in the, the wastes of Siberia. And uh, I thought this was amazing that his whole time in Russia, he was allowed to publish one book in 1962. And the book's title is One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. We're going to show a clip about that gulag, and you kind of get the feel. This is the end result of socialism. I don't know where you're at, and I, I, I try not to get political. Socialism has never worked. I've, I've been on a roll on that. And, and as we watch this, th this is the end result of, of socialism. Let's watch. Deep in the Ural region, 1,500 kilometers away from Moscow, as remote as can be. A virtual country made famous by the Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn. The Gulag, the USSR's forced labor camp system. Home to as many as 15 million unwilling inhabitants over the years. Being sent here was often a one-way ticket. Between one and two million people died in detention. The Gulag is tightly connected with Stalin, says this historian. Many forced labor camps were closed the very day after Stalin died. The Gulag archipelago was no fiction. These instruments of political repression existed for real. The Pierre 36 forced labor camp is proof. This was a high security political prison, complete with watchtowers, searchlights, tripwires, and five rows of fences and barbed wire. No one could escape Pierre 36. Viktor Piestov knows this better than anyone. He spent five years in the Gulag, three of them here, condemned to forced labor for spreading anti-Soviet propaganda. Piestov seizes every opportunity to come back, to keep the memories alive. It was tough mentally because there were fences and barbed wire everywhere you looked, he says. It felt oppressive. Stuff will never forget the cold winter nights in unheated dormitories, the barely edible food, and the open rooms that served as toilets. The prison guards were always trying to humiliate us, always chipping away at our dignity under directions from the KGB, he says. They wanted to break us. But this stuff bears no personal grudges and is actually happy to connect again with Ivan Kukushkin, his former prison guard. In those days, we were told that the prisoners were dangerous criminals, he says. It's only much later that I opened my eyes and understood that they were jailed for nothing, sometimes for a word they unwisely said out loud. Now transformed into a museum, this labor camp is a constant reminder of the high price some had to pay for basic rights, such as freedom of opinion and freedom of speech. A reminder also that these rights should never be taken for granted, even 60 years after the death of Joseph Stalin. Jean-François Bénardi, CBC News, near here, Russia.
in the book One Day in the Life, Denisovich was accused of something that he didn't do, and he was sentenced to 10 years hard labor in the Gulag. What's amazing in this book, he didn't mention what happened from the day that he got there to the day that he left. He picked out one day. And in this one day, the point was of what he focused on to get through that day, what his motivation was. Because you think of somebody in that dire condition, you were freezing to death, you were hungry, there were beatings, people being murdered in front of you. And it, it, it talks about what his motivation was that day. And now, what, how is this relevant to us today in our society? I, I think there's issues in this book that deal with the large-scale issues that we deal with. Political loyalty, human dignity, and faith. But amid these skyscraper themes, the author has thrown a few single-story ones that get obscured in the shadow, rarely, rarely catching our eyes, actually. One such theme is the purpose of our life if, and how we can live with a clear, ultimate objective that's set before us. Carpe diem, to seize the day, seize this day. So just as Ivan Denesovets built his wall, that was his point. With bricks and mortar, every morning when he got up, he focused and told himself, today I'm going to build a good wall. And he did it every day for 10 years, and he survived it. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to understand what he's trying to tell them about what God is saying and, and the truth that he's wanting to portray. You know, we just went some through things with Corinthians and the whole concept of, of meat sacrifice to idols. There was all these temples in Corinth that would sacrifice animals, and then they would, would take the meat and sell it on the street, and anybody could buy it. Well, at face value, Paul says, well, it's, it's not a big deal if you buy meat sacrificed to idols. If you eat it, it's just you, maybe your family, somebody that agrees with you. But the point is, if you've got somebody that's on the fence really wondering whether they ought to become a believer or even a new believer in the faith, they might get the wrong idea about that. That was the point that, that he was wanting to make here. So Paul, as a wise master builder, as the scripture tells us in 1023 through 111, he's talking about laying down a few guidelines and trying to help the Corinthians understand who they were, why were they that why they're there, and what their number one priority in life should be because it was a skewed. They had got off base. They had become completely hedonistic and they were living for themselves and really not caring about anybody else. First Corinthians ten, twenty three plus eleven one. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is helpful. You say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. Don't think only of your own good. Think of other Christians and what is best for them. This is strange thinking for most of us. Don't think only of your own good. Isn't that what grabs most of our time in a 24-hour day? We're thinking about number one. We're thinking about us. Paul says think of other Christians and what is best for them. Here's what you should do. 
You may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace. Don't ask whether or not it was offered to idols, and then your conscience won't be bothered. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If someone who isn't a Christian asks you home for dinner, go ahead, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you and don't ask any questions about it. Your conscience should not be bothered by this. But suppose someone warns you that this meat has been offered to an idol. Don't eat it, out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. Now, why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the Church of God. That is the plan I follow, too. I try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do, do what I like or what is best for me, but what is best for them so they may be saved. And you should follow my example just as I follow Christ's. I don't just do what I like or what is best for me. It cuts against the grain. That's why following Christ is a whole other issue. That's why we, we have to listen to the Holy Spirit to do it, because otherwise we'll do what we want, not what's best for somebody else, but what's best for us. But what is best for them so they may be saved? It's that underlying principle of why God has you on this earth. Our number one priority in life should be to glorify God. Verse 32 tells us. But Paul's text brings up questions, interesting questions, if you will, for us here today. Why should we be limited by another person's conscience? Simply because we do, we are to do all things for God's glory, even our eating and drinking. Nothing that we do or say should cause another believer to stumble. We do what is best for others as we live for Christ. This might not make sense, but as I think about this, sometimes we even believers, we get a little oversensitive and uh, we try to push our standards over on others without love, and Paul will get into that in the next few chapters. But a lot of times we become almost like Pharisees and we look down our noses and say terrible things to people that we really shouldn't say. But here's the issue about being a follower of Christ. You ever heard the expression that those who live in glass houses do not throw rocks? There's a lot to be said about that for leadership because you're pushed in the spotlight, so to speak, and everybody looks at you. So you're apt not to criticize so much talk about other people because people are looking at you because you're the leader and you're exposed. But I tell you what, I think that principle applies to everybody that gives their heart to Christ. You enter into another world, you're a new creation, and you have expectations and responsibilities and obligations that sometimes we want to shirk. That's why... That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and, and follow me. It's, it's not an easy path. He said his cross is light if you allow the Holy Spirit to help carry that cross with you. But the fact is, once you sign on, once you get in that boat with Jesus, the eyes of the world are on you. You might not think so, but they are. What you say, what you do, how you act, 
what your children see you do and say and act. That's your responsibility. And the Corinthians weren't doing that. They were just a, a bunch of party animals that was drinking and carrying on and even getting drunk at the Lord's Supper and on and on and on. We've been through some of that already. So Paul is trying to bring them back to square one where they need to be. So he gives them four timeless principles that are applicable to us today. Our number one priority is to glorify God in all the things of our lives. If you're level, if you revel in your liberty, or you have the attitude as you live as a believer that I'll do what I want when I want, these principles might almost scream like legalism to you. But Paul is trying to make a point of not what's best for us, but what's best for the kingdom. I don't think we can grasp the severity of the position that we're in in this world. Jesus didn't say that lightly when he said, you're salt and light. He meant it to drive home to our hearts to understand the responsibility that we have in this world to try to bring other people's people to Christ. The gulag was hell, but it's not even close to real hell. And that's where people are headed. People that we love, people in our families, people that we know that don't know Christ, they're going to end up there. <laughs> we take that for granted that we're in safety ourselves and we don't think so much about the others. Paul was trying to get the Corinthians back to where they needed to be. The first principle is the prophet principle. Liberty is not to be exercised at others' expense, but for their profit. Verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. If your liberty in Christ and the way you're living brings someone else into bondage, it's not liberty at all. It would be like a mother with small children that slept till noon and let the kids to their own demise. I can't imagine what would happen. So believers who abuse their liberty leave weaker brothers in God's family offended and hurt and spiritually abused, if you will. Our everyday business should be building one another up. Each of us has given a wheelbarrow of loose bricks dependent on the skillful hands of others to, to, to build us up, actually, and to see the clear-cut truth of God's love. But when you think about in your life today, what craftsmanship have you been doing on others in your life lately? Because you always want your way, it seems, sometimes. We always have to keep in mind that nothing, not even liberty in Christ, should cause believers to lose sight of their desire to win others to Jesus. It should be on our prayers, on our daily agenda. It's to help others find Christ then. hope that we have in Him. I hope you understand the hope that you have in Christ. Even Paul struggled sometimes with the choices that he had to make in life. His criterion for his activities was not what he liked best, but what was best for others around him. That's not a principle that's taught America so much. I hope we're teaching our children that, but maybe you weren't taught it as well.
there's other possible attitudes that we could have. Being insensitive and doing whatever, no matter who is hurt by it. Being oversensitive and doing nothing to fear that someone may be displeased or being a yes person by going along with everything, trying to gain approval from people rather than from God. It destroys our freedom in Christ if these are our attitudes. attitudes. And in this age of me first and looking out for number one, Paul's startling statement is a good standard if we make the good of others our primary goal. Second principle, people principle, 24 and verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 10. Paul slapping down another layer of mortar onto his guidelines as he builds this wall of truth. Let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. He's looking again about the well-being of other people, not just trying to be their curry favor to make them think well of you, but his concern really was what's best for other people. And that usually entails us making choices on sensitive issues. Every one of us makes hundreds of choices every day. And most choices have no right or wrong attached to them, like what a person eats or what a person wears. Only it does in some cases. <laughs> when I talk about clothes, and I've talked about this before, It's what I've told younger people before, and I'm not hammering on younger people. Somebody said, what's people wear to your church? I said, I don't care what they wear as long as they're covered up. <laughs> Some decisions do carry a little more weight than others. If you don't want to do wrong, you don't want to cause others to do wrong, you have to ask yourselves the following questions. If I choose one course of action, does it help my witness for Christ? That's chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. If I choose one course of action, am I motivated by a desire to help others to know Christ? 9.23 and 10.33. If I choose one course of action, does it help me do my best? 9.25. If I choose one course of action, is it against a specific command in Scripture? And would this cause me to sin? 10.12. If I choose one course of action, is it the best and most beneficial course of action? 10.23 and 33. Am I thinking only of myself, or do I truly care about the other person? 10.24. Am I acting lovingly or selfishly? Chapter 10.28 through 31. Does it glorify God? 10.31. And will it cause someone else to sin? 1032. Uh, I get tired of hearing in life, I'm not going to go to church because the place is full of hypocrites, which pretty much hits us on the head. But at least we're trying. <laughs> we're trying to get closer to God. But again, it brings out the fact of how important it is, how you live your life, what you say, and how you act. I did a series about Facebook a few months ago. I'm not on Facebook, but I'll guarantee you what, you can't believe the people. If you put something on Facebook that is disgrading, if you use vulgarity, if you put pictures that you shouldn't have, it always gets back to me. 
Hey, did you see what so and so put on Facebook? No, I didn't see it. I don't I don't think we know the, the impact of social media. And I don't think you realize your witness on social media. Because the way you are on social media and the language that you use and the actions that you act out should be the same as you do within the context of this building. It's who we are. It's how we live. And I do believe that the judgment seat of Christ, that that'll be some of the things that, that God will bring out. I saved your soul. I gave you eternal life. I, I put the Holy Spirit within you to guide you and direct you. And here's what you did. And he will show you what you did. I, I think that's... They say there's no shame in heaven. I think that's why the, the beamy seat is not in heaven. It's in the air. And I believe that's one of the reasons why it's between earth and the third heaven. It's here because we're going to suffer loss and reward. Third principle, the planet principle. Our enjoyment of God's earth should be as infinite as his creation. We ought to be having some fun. 10.26 says, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. I do believe that in many people's minds that God is this big, ugly ogre that hangs over the edge of heaven with this huge club with spikes in it, just waiting for us to mess up so he can whack us. That's not the vision that we get of God in Scripture. First Timothy 6.17, there we see a God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Paul's not trying to throw a wet blanket on our life or steal our joy. He wants us to be concerned with the consciences of weaker brothers and sisters. Fourth principle, the primary principle, with the mortar of his last principle, Paul finishes his argument. He wipes off his trowel and leaves standing before us our ultimate objective plumb line of truth. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It covers all our lives, 24-7, 365. I want you to just think about one day in your life. And as you open your eyes that morning, what, 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 what's the first thing that you think about? What, what is the motivation that drags you out for you to put that one leg down and get up, wash your face, brush your teeth, for some to put on a whole different face than one, the one you woke up with? Put a hat on or mess with your hair, you face the world. What is, what is the motivation that, that makes you do that? Because you don't have to. We, people used to say, well, all you have to do is die and pay taxes. You don't even have to pay taxes. But you, you will have to die one day. But your motivation for one day out of your life, for Ivan Denisovich, it was as simple as having a wall to build. That's what gave him his meaning in life. It's how he endured the suffering around him, being hungry, freezing, it's what motivated him. It got him through the day because he focused on the number one priority in his life, 
first build out. You and I, hopefully, will never even come close to a situation or an environment like that. Many of you have been in war. You've sensed some pretty terrible things. What objectives do you live by? What's your reason to get up in the morning and hopefully it's your primary concern is to bring glory to God? Or sometimes we just cling so tightly to our freedom that we're going to do what we want when we want it and let the cards fall where they may. Because God's promised me that if I trust in Him, if I believe in Him, He's going to be with me. And when I die, I'm going to be ushered into the glories of heaven. That's that's not that's not what it's about. That's what Paul was trying to tell the Corinthians. We all have people that we love dearly, and I would even say today that there are probably people in here that you would die for somebody else. You would die for your child. You'd die for your spouse. But the question is, will you die to self? to win them to Jesus. That's, that's the issue. It's something that shouldn't keep us in turmoil, but it's something that should be on the, for, the forefront of our minds and our hearts as we speak and as we act. That we can love somebody to Christ because if not, my friends, they are doomed. Hell is as real as this table right you can't have heaven without hell. You can't have one without the other. And God has promised, and I believe that with all my heart. At the end of one day in the life, a fellow prisoner, Alyosa, asked Ivan, and I quote, Why do you want freedom? In freedom, your last grain of faith will be choked with weeds. You should rejoice that you're in prison. Here you have a little time to think about your soul, as the Apostle Paul wrote. Why all these tears? Why are you trying to weaken my resolution? For my part, I am ready not merely to be bound, but even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. End quote. The question for you and I today is, are we willing to die to self to glorify God? should be our number one priority and to bring others to Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Many of us know the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. While this phrase is not drawn directly from Scripture, the wisdom behind it is. The Bible tells us with great clarity that man was created in order to bring glory to God. Thus, the chief end of followers of Christ and the church is to bring glory to God. And there is no higher calling on this earth. But the question the Holy Spirit begs to ask each of us today as he looks us right in the eye, does your life glorify God with all you do? Is that your number one priority? 1021, 1 Corinthians, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do it all for the glory of God. And now we come to the end of this message. 
and we are left to deal with what God has said to us each in our own hearts. He can take the same message and say different things. He's God. He can do what he wants. But right now, I, I beg you, as your pastor and as somebody that loves you with all my heart, to just listen. Listen to what God has to say to you. Because he, he, he wants to speak into your life. If you're not living like you should, all you have to do is say you're sorry. Forgive me, Lord. And he does, immediately. He didn't even argue about it. He doesn't take you back all through all the things that you've done wrong. He just says, okay, my blood has covered you and you now are clean. If you need, if you need prayed with, come. There's people here who love you, will pray with you. If you need Christ in any way, if you've never accepted him, we'll show you how. But as you sit in your seat this morning, as God deals with you, just be honest with him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you do for us, God, and will you continue to put up with us. I know that's a tough gig sometimes, even my own life. But you still love us. You still continue to speak into our lives if we listen. And you want so desperately to guide and direct us and for us to be good kids. Us as parents, we all want good kids. We want our kids to be mind, mindful. We want them to be good. But as your children, sometimes we're not. And Lord, we do get out in life, we get to school, and we get to the job site. And sometimes we try to fit in, and I fear we say things we shouldn't, do actions that we probably shouldn't, because people around us will watch us, are watching us constantly, and they are going to arrive their thoughts about you who you are from us so God right now I love these people I just not so bad I want them to be right with you so right now Father Holy Spirit as you speak to each heart just may we be honest and open and do whatever we need to do to be before we leave this building. We ask these things in your precious name.